Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. Today we're going to read another little section from Embraced by the Light by uh, Betty J. Edie. Um, And this is a particular part where she visits what some seem to call the Temple of Knowledge or the uh, Library of Knowledge, something uh, along those lines. And, uh, And I am especially interested by the mention of people working and uh, simply because well we'll talk about it afterward let me let me get straight to it here she says through receiving this information I developed a relationship and knowledge of the Savior that I will always cherish his concern for my feelings was inspiring and I'm going to pause here um, just to remind you she was um, accompanied by Jesus, and, and he was kind of giving her, her the tour, if you will, or um, giving her knowledge and, and so forth, and, and so that's where we pick up. He never wanted to do or say anything that would offend me. He knew what I was capable of understanding, and he carefully prepared me to absorb all of the knowledge that I sought. In the world, or in the spirit world, no one is made to feel uncomfortable by being forced to do or accept things for which they are not prepared. Patience is a natural attribute there. I'll never forget the Lord's sense of humor, which is so delightful and quick as any here, far more so. Nobody could outdo his humor. He is filled with perfect happiness, perfect goodwill. There is a softness and grace in his presence, and I had no doubt that he is a perfect man. I knew him, his spirit, his feelings, his concern for me. I felt his kinship with me, and I knew that we were family. I felt that his relationship to me was both like a father and an older brother. He was close to me, but there was also an element of authority. He was tender and good-natured, but also responsible. I knew with a sure knowledge that he would never misuse his authority, and he would never even desire to do so. Still surrounded by light, Jesus smiled at me, and I felt his approval. He turned to his left and introduced me to two women who had just appeared. The third, a third woman also appeared briefly behind them, but she appeared to be on an errand and only stopped to visit for a moment. Jesus instructed the first two women to escort me, and I felt their happiness at being with me. As I looked at them, I remembered them. They were my friends. They had been two of my close friends before I came to earth, and their excitement at being with me again was as great as my own. As Jesus was about to leave me with them, I felt his amusement again, and he seemed to whisper to my spirit, Go learn of things. And I understood that I was free to see and experience all that I wanted. I was thrilled that there was still more to learn, much more, or much more, as it would turn out. The Savior left us then, and my two friends embraced me. The love here encompassed all. Everybody had it. Everybody was happy. Although there was a vast difference in the light and power between these women and Christ, their love was unconditional. They loved me with all their hearts. The memory of that tour has been partially taken from me. 
I remember being taken into a large room where people were working, but I don't remember how we got there or what the building looked like from the outside. The room was beautiful. Its walls were made of some kind of substance, perhaps like very thin marble that let light come in, and in places I could see through it to the outside. The effect was very interesting and beautiful. As we approached the people, I saw that they were weaving on large, ancient-looking looms. My first impression was how archaic to have such, or to have manual looms in the spirit world. Standing by the looms were many spiritual beings, male and female, and they greeted me with smiles. They were delighted to see me and moved back from one of the looms to let me have a better look. They were anxious for me to see the workmanship of their hands. I went closer and picked up a piece of the cloth that they were weaving. Its appearance was like a mixture of spun glass and spun sugar. As I moved the cloth back and forth, it shimmered and sparkled, almost as though it were alive. The effect was startling. The material was opaque on one side, but when I turned it over, I was able to see through it. Being transparent from one side and opaque on the other, similar to a two-way mirror, obviously had a purpose, but I wasn't told what the purpose was. The workers explained that the material would be made into clothing for those coming into the spirit world from earth. The workers were understandably pleased with their work and with my gratitude for being permitted to speak to see it. We moved from the looms, my two companions and I, and went through many other rooms where I saw amazing things and wonderful people, but I have not been allowed to recall many of these details. I remember the feeling of traveling for days or weeks and never tiring. I was surprised at how much people like to work with their hands there. Those who want to. They enjoy creating devices that are helpful to others, both here and there. I saw a large machine, similar to a computer, but much more elaborate and powerful. The people working on this, too, were pleased to show me their work. Again, I understood all things that all things of importance are created spiritually first and physically second. I had no idea of this before. I was taken to another large room, similar to a library. As I looked around to see, or as I looked around, it seemed to be a repository of knowledge. But I couldn't see any books. Then I noticed ideas coming into my mind, knowledge filling me on subjects that I had not thought about for some time, or in some cases, not at all. Then I realized that this was a library of the mind. By simply reflecting on a topic, as I had earlier in Christ's presence, all knowledge on that topic came to me. I could learn about anybody in history, or even in the spirit world, in full detail. No knowledge was kept from me, and it was impossible not to understand correctly every thought, every statement, every particle of knowledge. There was absolutely no misunderstanding here. History was pure. 
understanding was complete. I understood not only what people did, but why they did it, and how it affected other people's perception of reality. I understood reality pertaining to that subject from every angle, from every possible perception. And all of this brought a wholeness to the event, to an event or person or principle that was not possible to comprehend on earth. But this was more than a mental process. I was able to feel what the people felt when they performed these actions. I understood their pains or joys or excitement because I was able to live them. Some of this knowledge was taken from me, but not all. I cherish the knowledge granted me of certain events and people in our history which were important for me to understand. I wanted still more experiences in this wonderful, incredible world, and my escorts were delighted to continue helping me. It was their greatest joy to give me joy, and with some excitement they took me outside to a garden." And that's the end of that chapter. Um, Wow, there's a lot of things there I'd like to uh, talk about. So first off, he says that, uh, or she says, of Jesus, she, she said, He knew what I was capable of understanding, and he carefully prepared me to absorb all of the knowledge that I sought. And then she says, No one is made to feel uncomfortable by being forced to do or accept things for which they are not prepared. That is interesting to me because that tells me, first off, that that understanding and knowledge and even things of spiritual nature, religious nature, are all given based on our preparation for those things. Now, on earth, I could try, I could go up to somebody and try to convince them of some political view, for example, and likely they won't accept it unless they already share that view. But it appears that in the spirit world, there's enough of understanding, compassion, and empathy, and the ability to discern somebody's intent and somebody's motivations to be able to tell probably before even trying to tell them something, whether or not they're ready to accept it, whether or not they're in a frame of mind that would make it so that they could accept it. Which is interesting, too, because, you know, it appears that all knowledge is available in some way, whether in a library or in the Savior's presence or, you know, just for the asking, I'm I'm not entirely sure how that all works. It appears that in any given situation, there is um, a vast knowledge of understanding to be obtained for the seeking. But when you're in the pre- in such a library as this, or in the Lord's presence, that expands too far beyond uh, what we can understand here. I mean, if you consider you know, as an analogy, here on earth, we have, you have Google, okay, and let's just say, you know, you use your Hey Google function, and you ask a question, and that little voice that answers it is one level of understanding, and and you can learn a great deal by simply listening to that little voice that 
you know, when you say define, you know, happiness and it, uh, and the little voice says happiness is defined as a state of mental being where, you know, whatever. And, and so you're, you have that voice to tell you, um, what they are. But then if you were to go further and look at a Google search, you could see the little summary of all the different, you know, links that are available and, and you read those summaries on the next level it might be that you click on each page and you read every article or or blog entry or whatever about happiness and at the next level you're able to somehow comprehend every page of the google search such that you know you can find virtually everything ever written on the subject you know but that is the analogy I'm trying to use to illustrate this idea that in the spirit form, there seems to be an additional ability to ask and receive knowledge. And then in the presence of this library, there is even greater ability to receive and receive more. And then in the Lord's presence, even more and so forth. So there's varying levels of ability to understand and ask and, and receive, but there also seems to be a sensitivity toward those things that you're ready to receive. So that knowledge is rarely given that you're not ready to receive. Now, I think the Lord's understanding of what we're ready to receive is much greater than ours because many people who are atheists and, and won't accept God just won't end up seeing him, walking with him. And so you might say they weren't ready for that, but apparently they were, and the Lord knew that. But there may be things, knowledge, and so forth, that they're not yet ready to receive, which was possibly a reason for people's various interpretations um, not always being consistent with other people's interpretations. It's simply that idea that one was prepared for one bit of knowledge, another was prepared for a different bit of knowledge, and the two bits of knowledge may not seem to correlate. And, you know, kind of like it is here, really. Everybody frames a uh, paradigm for themselves that seems to fit every other aspect of their knowledge and and there's things that they don't accept that they know people believe. And then there's other things that they consider possible, but they don't necessarily believe it and so forth. Kind of like the shelf system. Anyway, um, going on. He, she talks about, um, she says, I'll never forget the Lord's sense of humor, which was as delightful and quick as any here. Far more so. And then she says, Nobody could outdo his humor. You know, I think I, along with others, are very interested in in the idea of the Lord having a sense of humor. I've heard some describe him as a very jovial man, somebody who's who's constantly constantly has a, a joke or or something funny to say on the tip of his tongue almost. And that seems so different than many have seen him as this sac 
sacrosanct, you know, very solemn individual who a smile is maybe reserved for a special moment when somebody has done something especially pleasing or something like that. And that does not seem to be consistent with most people's encounters with Christ. Um, over and over I hear, he is hilarious. And he he says the funniest things and he is constantly laughing um, at, not constantly, but you know, he's he, he laughs often at the things that we do, not because he didn't know we were going to do it, but because it's genuinely funny. You know, it, it, it kind of makes me think of, there are YouTube videos that I have seen 15 times and I still laugh at them because they're funny. And, uh, and I kind of gather that about Christ, that even though he knows our thoughts, he knows what we're going to say and whatever, that whole build up and so forth is not lost to him, that the whole humor aspect is not lost. And in fact, it seems to be that the higher the intelligence of the individual, the, uh, the deeper the consciousness of the individual, the more apt they are to humor and the more joyful they are about it. I love it. I love it. Okay, let's see what else. I sometimes mark things as I'm reading them. And so, okay, she says, I remember, she remembers she's with the, uh, the two people that are kind of giving her a tour, if you will, escorting her. She says, I remember the feeling of traveling for days or weeks and never tiring. So, you know, all these things that she's seeing and experiencing, I mean, she and she says over and over that there are thir- certain things that were taken from her memory and other things um, that she's allowed to remember. And the things she's allowed to remember are are so vivid that she almost feels like, you know, she's like, I don't remember getting to this place, this library, but suddenly, not suddenly I was there, but it's like the that gap is a piece of the memory that I'm not allowed to remember. And then she's at this library and so forth. So the, and, and she says days and weeks. Now, of course, from what I gather from all of these near-death experiences, time is just not a thing. And there is not a sense of days, weeks, years, whatever. But often it's in looking back and they see all the things they did. And they're like, gosh, that must have been months for all the things that I remember doing during that time. And all the little glimmers of of encounters that I had with people and so forth. If, you know, if you think back, and not even on the last month, because the last month is probably very repetitive for you, and there are things that that just, you know, uh, didn't have any special meaning and so forth. But imagine going on a vacation to Europe and traveling to all the different places for, say, a month, for example. You come back and you're telling about all these things. You can kind of gauge how long you were there based on all the things that you did. And I think that's kind of what Betty is doing in this situation. She's looking back at all the things that she did and 
and feeling a sense of gosh how long have i been here now you know and it's and it's kind of like this and and this is an interesting thing too because for many people this announcement that they're going back is kind of a shock to them not just because they want to stay there is that but also because they're like well wait a minute go go back how long has it been i've been i've been here for centuries or i've been here for years or whatever and and <laughs> that makes me a little uncomfortable in a sense because i'm worried that i'm going to die and go back and think yep it's the end, you know, and I move on to bigger and better things, get all this vast knowledge and opportunities and explorations, and then I'm going to be told, oh, by the way, I know that you've practically forgotten your life for how long it's been, and you've had all these adventures and so forth, but remember that earth life? Yeah, you got to go back, and I'll go back, and it'll be 25 seconds later, and I'll be in terrible pain, and so forth or something I, I i worry that that might be the case but gratefully it's only about one in ten people that have a near-death experience that have have uh, died and returned and most people who die do not return i would be interested in looking at the percentage of people who have who reach clinical death and then return versus reach clinical death and never return I suspect we're talking about the 90 percentile, at least. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure. That's a statistic. That, you know, you'd have to look at how many people die per day. In fact, I think I'll do that right now. One second. Okay, so I just looked it up. It looks like there are about 6,775 people who die in America on average per day. And there are about 700 people per day that have a near-death experience. Now, this is assuming that these 700 are, you know, close to or pretty much clinical death kind of situations. Um, unless I did the math completely wrong, it appears that it's a it's pretty close to 10% of people who die return to tell the story of the other side. Now, what percent are there that die and don't tell their story? I, you know, it, it may be a much higher percent. I, I, I'm not sure, you know, I, if I remember right, there's something like 10% of people who have clinical death experience, a near-death experience. I, I'm not sure. Um, but if 10% of people who die, um, yeah, anyway, if I didn't do the math right, it looks like there's only a 10% chance of that incident happening <laughs> where you get to the other side and you're like, oh, this is wonderful. I love this place. And then at some point you're told, oh, by the way, you got to go back. What? You know, so in a way, those are the unfortunate ones because everybody else gets to stay. And the ones who are told you got to go back, it's unclear how long you'll get to be there before coming back. It's almost, almost seems like the best scenario would be a short visit to that the other side and just starting to you know before kind of getting your bearings then be returned back so that you don't have to feel like you've just been kicked out of heaven <laughs> but that idea of traveling for weeks or day, days or weeks i remember one person in one 
near-death experience, I'll see if I can find that one of these days, said, if my uh, uh, computing is right, if my figuring was right, I was there about 2,500 years in, in, according to how, you know, time passes there, something like, I, they're like, I, and then they were told you got to go back. And they're like, what? Go back to where? Remember that earth life thing way back when, you know? <laughs> anyway, kind of interesting. Actually, that's, yeah, kind of interesting. Let's just put it that, that way. Okay, another thing that she says is that I understood, again, I understood that all things of importance are created spiritually first and physically second. I had no idea of this before, she says. And this is after seeing the little computer thing and the looms and, and, and she's kind of, you know, the computer is much more elaborate and powerful uh, that she sees there. And... I'm not sure by spiritually first and physically second if it is meant that there is one of these things in the spirit world before it's ever on earth. Does that mean there are mobile phones in the spirit world or that there were before they were here? I don't know. I don't know. Or does something being spiritually created first mean that it's created in the mind first and thus could potentially be in the spirit world as well? I don't know. Not sure about that. But uh, she seems to be, it, it seems to me that she's saying that anything we have here was cre probably created spiritually first. Very interesting. And then uh, just a little side note about the library of knowledge or temple of knowledge. She calls it the repository of knowledge. It, this is seems to be an illustration, just the different wordings that people come up with. It seems to be an illustration that while they're there, there is an idea of a thing. There's a, there is a concept. And since words are not used, they come back and they say, well, it, it was, it was a, uh, and they think that thing, but uh, unfortunately that doesn't communicate the, the message to us because we're mortal and we can't, you know, convey by thought. And so everybody's trying to say, okay, well, what, what would you call this thing? It was a, it was the library of knowledge. It was, it was like a temple of, of understanding, a, a repository of knowledge, you know? And so kind of interesting. That's why you hear of beings of light, of angels, of people glowing, you know, you have different wordings for things because they don't have a word for it there because they don't need one. And maybe there is a word for it there, but it never comes up because you don't need it. And so, very interesting. And then there's some people, like the one last week that we read that had a funny name for it and and then changed his name for it once he heard of a similar name for it. You know, it, it's like, well, we'll call it this. Well, now, now well, maybe I, I should call it this instead, you know. And <laughs> our clunky words here are apparently um, rather laborious. And uh, when we get to the spirit world, all things are communicated so clearly and cleanly that, that it's the concept that's communicated, not the words. So anyway, I really like that concept also that she says about how people have work to do. Those who enjoy work have plenty of work to do. These people are, are uh, weaving clothes for 
new arrivals, the people who are newly dying. And if I remember right, when she looks down at herself earlier, she sees a the clothing that she's wearing, and she says, it's as if it was made of spun light. But now that I think back too, it may have been her body itself that she said was seemed to be of spun light. I can't remember for sure. Either way, it's interesting to me that, uh, that she talks about people having work to do and, and they like creating with their hands, which is interesting when you consider the different things. And it also illustrates that idea that, uh, that in the spirit world, spirit can mingle with spirit. So it's not like, you know, you pass through everything all the time. You know, you can touch a tree, you can touch the grass, you can touch the the water and so forth um, when you're in the spirit world, as a spirit. So, anyway, very interesting things there uh, uh, about spirit and spirit world. So, if you would like to uh, share your experience, I would be happy to interview you. Also, you could, can, if you're too shy to talk yourself and you just want me to read your experience, just email it to neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to share it um, in, in your voice, you can either record it on an MP3 and then email it to neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can upload it somewhere and just send me a link you know, YouTube, whatever. Um, I would love to share your experience on the podcast. And uh, also you can call uh, 970-NDE-CAST. But again, until I figure out how to get around it, that will only allow you three minutes. So you're welcome to call it multiple times if you'd like. That would be just fine with me. Or you can, uh, you know, use the MP3 method, whatever. And I'll see if I can find a better way for people to be able to call in and share their experience with as much time as they need to do so. And also, if you enjoy this podcast, if you're finding that it's making a different difference in your life, please get on iTunes if you have access to it and leave a review. That is simply a way for people to be able to come across this podcast and it tells iTunes Oh, people are listening. People care, you know. They, and and it's a way of uh, telling their algorithms that this should be found when people search for podcasts about near-death experiences. And I think they do find it right now, but it may be a page or two down. They have to scroll quite a ways and so forth. And, and so, you know, just leaving a review of some kind will help people to find the podcast. And if you leave a... a you know, some wording or, or so forth, people will be able to see that and they'll be able to see whether it's worth listening to or not. And with that, thank you all of you so much again for listening.